Hey everyone, welcome to this week's Bible Discovery, the weekend show where we discuss big topics that pop up as we're reading through the scripture. And of course, we also love to discuss your questions and comments as well. So if you have some at the top of the show, pop them in the comment section down below or email us uh, and uh, we'll we'll work it out. We, we would love to discuss your, your topic or your question here on the show. But Matlock, more interesting things today. So what, what's our scripture? That's right. That so covered, you if know, you're following right? Bible discovery right now, <laughs> you should have read, I hope you did, you should have read Ezekiel 37 to Daniel 6. Yes. And there's a lot of interesting questions today pertaining to Ezekiel, none with Daniel. That'll be the next week. But in terms of Ezekiel, a lot to do with the temple, mm-hmm. who's the prince, uh, Gog and Magog, bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. For now, we'll discuss what the big question is, and we'll discuss the big question at the end. And the big question is, Corey, are you ready? I'm ready. Drum roll. Okay. Where am I ready? The question that we <laughs> answered very poorly a couple weeks ago. Very poorly. <laughs> that was, I'm sorry to put you through that. Is Does the temple need to be rebuilt before Christ can return? All right. We're actually going to do a better job, I hope, this time. Hopefully. And answer that question. That's right. All right, Corey. Do you mind if I start off with the first question? Please do. What is the significance of the Valley of Dry Bones? I love the scripture. Right. I... So I love history, right? So when I've always loved history, even as a kid. So I remember this being read to me as a kid and then me or it being mentioned to me as a kid and then asking my dad and mom where it was and then going and reading it for myself. And I just thought it was so wild. This just all of these bones, which I just intrinsically find so interesting and mysterious. Um, Like what what lives do these bones represent? You know, all these things and... um. Yeah, just being so enamored. And so I, I just, so I love this. I love this passage. But, okay, so in the context of Ezekiel, so Ezekiel himself is in exile. And he, in the Babylonian exile, and he has prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem and lives through it. Uh, I mean, lives through the historical event. He's not in Jerusalem, obviously. He's in Babylon when Jerusalem falls. But this concept is that the, the community of Israel and the community of, of Judah, they are dead. The land is not the same. They are physically dead and they are spiritually dead. They're not in the land. The land is occupied by other people. They, you know, God has abandoned them. They're not just dead bodies. They're very dry bones. And that's emphasized in Ezekiel 37. The bones weren't just bones. They were very dry bones old, old bones. And then we see through his word, God miraculously not only restores the muscles and then the flesh on these bodies, he breathes life into them. So the point of the Valley of the Dry Bones is, I know it's a little bit on the nose, but it's just that God has not only the ability to bring an entire nation back to life, but has the desire to and will. Mm. He will do it. He will bring back to life. He will restore from the dead. So yeah. I think that's good. Well, that's, that's, that, that that's is what it means. That's the ultimate point of the Valley of that is. I love it though. It's amazing. Yeah. Right, that's, that's our future. I also love how Ezekiel like, describes the sound of hearing yes. them. It's just such a, such a rich passage. Yeah, it is. And notice that they're not just disembodied spirits floating around. They're actually, their physical flesh is formed yeah. back again. Yeah. Very good. Okay, Corey, another one. Ready? Rapid fire. 
Oh my <laughs> who, goodness. Who is Gog and Magog? It's a viewer uh, question. The ultimate question. <laughs> okay, my answer, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, uh, Joshua, this is from Joshua. My answer to you is probably going to be deeply unsatisfying because my answer is nobody knows who Gog and Magog is. It is not attached to a historical figure uh, that we can see. Um, um, when you look into Jewish tradition, for example, in, I believe it's in Antiquities of the Jews, but it's it's one of Josephus's works. I'm, I'm, sh I'm sure, I'm pretty sure that it's in Antiquities of the Jews. Um, Josephus attaches it, I think, to the Scythian people. But it's it's in a future battle. He believes there's going to be a future future battle in a messianic age, and it's going to be the Scythian people. And um, the Scythian people like take over. I want to say Asia Minor. It's in the north. Mm. They take over a people in the north. Yes, that is content that that like in in the territories that like Ukraine and Russia occupy today. So that's where that whole thing comes from. There's a there's a whole wave of people that believe Gog and Magog are Russia today. Um, uh, you know, it is what it is. But I, Ezekiel does not identify Gog and Magog uh, beyond just Gog and Magog, uh, but he does seem to be referencing a future battle against the people of God. And I can say that because. In Revelation 20, Gog and Magog are mentioned again, uh, once again, in um, a battle that Satan leads the people of Gog and Magog against the people of God in this final showdown that Christ rescues the people of God from. So it, it's entirely possible that Ezekiel purposefully, he either didn't know the identity of this future individual or it wasn't to be known. And so he just used names that had no contemporary like meaning um, for a future fearsome battle against the people of God. And this is yet to be uncovered that, you know, there's been some attempts to attach this to a historical figure, but they have all been intensely unsatisfying. So not ticking every box, not really going there. So that's what I would add to this conversation. I know I have not studied it extensively, but I know that Josephus talks about it. So we can look at how um, ancient Judaism in interpreted this, which by and large was, again, attaching it to a Scythian people group that took territory in the north um, of, of, you know, the Middle East, like north of the Middle East and all those lands. And then, of course, we have Revelation 20, where it's seen as um, Satan rallying these people groups against the people of God. Mm. So we don't know who this is supposed to be referencing. It has been attempted to be, again, like I said, some people have tried to attach it to a historical figure, but as far as I'm aware, it's been pretty deeply unsatisfying. Scythian sounds like scythe, and scythe is what death holds. <laughs> okay. And death okay. is okay. like saying, I, <laughs> okay. Anyways, yeah, honestly, I don't have a, um, I don't have a good answer for this because I think it was again, I think you're right, is that it is a future thing that we don't know. Could it be Russia? Sure. Could it be? I heard Gog and Magog Russia and Germany. Um, that's what I've heard crying up. Yep. And it, sure. Okay. You want to you want to point to different things? You know what's going to happen though? We're going to know it when it happens. Right. And it's going to be after the fact. I think, yes. That we're, like it's, it's going to be identified. But the point stands is that God is a rescuing God. He rescues right. his people and he is able to rescue us out of impossible situations.
Yes. So I think that is a, a solid spiritual point that we should pull from this. Yeah, it's true. And right. they lose is what's important. Yes. God they and Magog lose. lose. That's yes. right. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry if that was unsatisfying, Josh, but if you want to jump off into further studies, well, what, I would... What does everyone think? Yeah. What is it? What do you think? Yeah. Who do you think Gog and Magog are? <laughs> and importantly, yeah. why? Why do you think Gog and Magog yeah. are who you think they are? Because I would be curious to know yeah, that. Yeah, seriously. Maybe some of you have done more study on this than I have. I hope you have. And I would, I would <laughs> like to hear from you. All right, Matt, like, we're going to move on, though. Ezekiel yeah. 40 to 48. Okay, so this is about the temple. All right. Oh, wait. Were we moving this one? Or am That's I prematurely asking yeah, remember yes. we talked about this. I am already, I'm already messing That's it up. That's right. I was supposed to move this question. So, as he heal 43 to 46. Let's That's this right. Question first. All right. Matlock, will there be animal sacrifices during the millennial kingdom? Okay, because it kind of hints at this. It does during, right at the end. So, the there's no need for an animal sacrifice right now mm-hmm. because Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. So, to reinstitute animal sacrifices would if if it were to be done, I I'm assuming it would just be memorial at the most at the furthest you know just strictly memorial and symbolic of let's say Israel itself and the, where they where they're coming from. So the only way I could see this because like I said, the reason why animal sacrifices don't exist right now in Christianity is because Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. So there's no need. So there's no need to have an animal to make atonement because the animal doesn't truly make atonement. It's God. It's Christ who makes atonement. So, you know, whence animal sacrifices? Um, uh, the only way I could think about this possibly happening is when talks about this talks about this in Zechariah and even in Ezekiel, where God brings the people back who have realized their wrongs that they've rejected God and they return to God, and um, and in mourning they return to God, and it's possible that they've been you know these Jews who have been stayed Jews but never became Christians would do this, I'm saying saying it's possible, I don't I'm not convinced by this. Uh would do these sacrifices in the millennial during the millennial kingdom uh as a memorial that God has shown mercy on them. Um that's one option. Okay? So that's that would say okay, maybe. I don't like that option if I'm being honest. Uh but that's the only thing I could think about that happening if we were to take this literally. There's literal animal sacrifices happening. It's just the Jews doing it not for atonement of sins, but strictly memorially uh, to represent what they've come through and the, the distant past, you know, being from uh, the Mosaic law. So uh, carrying forward. Uh, so this would have to be then before the completion of the new heavens and new earth when there's no death. They can't, you can't be killing animals in, when there's no death. It's, it, it says specifically in Revelation 21 that God takes death, right? And Satan, it takes death and throws it into the, into the bottomless pit. So the sea is gone, death is gone. So there can't be death. So this can't be the new heavens and new earth. This has to be some sort of... Millennial reign. Millennial reign before yeah. the new heavens and new earth, if millennial reign is what it is. Anyways. Is a literal reign. Is a literal, is a literal reign of Christ. Right, because Christ will literally... On an earth that is still fallen. On a fallen earth, exactly. Because the so the point here to be made is that, yes, we all believe that Christ is going to reign physically on earth again. He ascended to heaven bodily. He will return again bodily. Mm-hmm. Everyone believes that. The question is, you know, is that during the new heavens and new earth proper? Or is there a, a thousand period grace period before where that's happening? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's the discussion. I'm open for both, but... Long story short, so I don't, I lean to say that no, animal sacrifices will not be happening. There's a reason for that. 
but I'm going to tell say why later. Just to hook you. All right, just maybe I'll tell you why later. But I don't yeah. think that that's what's happening. What do you think? Yeah, I, I I have my beliefs kind of in a state of limbo, a little bit of a tension here because I lean to there will be a literal a thousand year reign or millennial right. kingdom. I don't think it has to be exactly on the nose, 1,000 years, 365 days times 1,000. <laughs> right. But a, a long period of time where Christ reigns. That is, I, 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 that is where I lean right now. Um, and and the way that I've heard a lot of people talk about this is that the because the 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 system in the temple didn't operate the way it was ever supposed to, mm. that it it will operate the way it was supposed to, uh, but it will operate in a true format, right. recognizing Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of those things. Right. Uh, so I don't I don't I don't know. My my short answer to this is honestly, yeah. if I'm being honest. I don't know I, I, if there will be animal right. sacrifices during the millennial kingdom. You know, as a true millennial Western person, I I find myself also <laughs> leaning towards, I hope not, yikes. But at the same time, I don't know. I'm not God and I don't know how this is going to go. So I'm very curious to find out. I'm millennial out. confused about the millennial reign. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think I'm confused about it. Well, okay, yeah, yes, sure. Okay. No, I shouldn't say confused. Fair but enough. In limbo, holding tension. But yeah, so I, I think that but animal sacrifices is intimately tied to the temple. And we will get into that. Yes. Corey, this let me... This is an area of research that I want to pursue further. Yes. But have not, as of yet, done a, done a super deep dive into this. I agree. I've heard a lot of opinions. Don't get me wrong. I have heard a lot of opinions. I've read the scriptures, but I've not done a full deep dive. I, I feel like the prophecy stuff for me, future prophecy, always gets pushed to the side. Because it's like, okay, well... Because it's not as super pertinent. It's as not as pertinent to the people's things struggles right now. that we right need now. to know right now to <laughs> yeah, practically live the right. Christian life. Yes. All right, Corey, let me hit you with another question. Please. Then. We'll return to this. Okay. Okay. Ezekiel 44. Yes. Who is the prince? Is it David or Jesus? Ezekiel 44. Okay, right. so this is the gate. Mm, this is the gate, the eastern gate, right? So we've got the, the Lord God of Israel... Rem- uh, entered into the temple complex and the city of Jerusalem by the eastern gate of this city. And so they close up the gate so that no one else can use it. And the idea is that God is never going to leave, so he doesn't have to use it again. But the only person who is allowed to use the gate is the prince, right? So let me find... Right. right. Okay, so... The last part of verse two says about the gate. Therefore, it shall remain shut. Verse three, only the prince may sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by way of the vestibule of the gate and shall go out by the same way. So who is this prince? And interestingly, yes. David or Jesus? Well, here's what I will say. Can I just chime in quickly? Okay. It does say that the prince make sacrifices for of atonement for himself and the people. Doesn't it say, sorry, isn't it um, fellowship offerings? I for it himself and the people? Offerings, which is different than... A t- oh, it, says, it says offerings. I don't, I don't recall it saying, I need to find the verse. But it says offerings I, I think, for himself. I think I'm going to. For himself and the people. Yes, so, I believe that's a fellowship offering, but uh, all right, let me see. All right, go into that because that's something else to keep in mind here. Okay, so if we if we jog back a little bit to Ezekiel 34, 24, because this is not the only time that Ezekiel has spoken of this prince, this future prince. 
Ezekiel 34, 24 says, and I, the Lord, speaking of this future time period, I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. So here the prince is associated with David. Mm -hmm. And then if you jump to Ezekiel 37, verse 24, so this is after the dry bones in the valley of the dry bones have been returned to living human people. Verse 24, my servant David shall be king over them and they shall have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. Uh, they shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. All right. So again, David being associated with this future time period. But here's the thing. David was long dead and gone by the time of Ezekiel, right? So right. what is Ezekiel referencing? Well, I believe Ezekiel is referencing the Davidic covenant, right? So if you go back to 2 Samuel verse 7, sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Oh my goodness, still new Bible. So my pages are very sticky. <laughs> it's a good problem to have. We're going to work work them out. All right. So um, lest we think that David is supposed to live forever in the physical world, we know that David is going to die because when God is making the covenant with David in 2 Samuel 7, verse 12, he says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, which is a euphemism for death, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And then we go on to learn that he's talking immediately about Solomon. But if we jump down to verse 16, it says this, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So God promises to David that his dynasty will rule forever, right? And obviously God confirms this covenant with Solomon and says, yeah, but if you don't follow me, then you are going to be cut off. Okay, so how does God fulfill the Davidic covenant? Well, Christians, we believe that that is why Jesus Christ came physically from the descendants of David, right? So, it, I mean, if you just go into Matthew, Chapter one, which is right here. Matthew chapter one, verse one, right? It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So Matthew, the gospel writer, is purposely attributing Jesus as the son of David. So the son of the messianic covenant, right? The Davidic covenant, he's the Messiah. And then the son of Abraham. So Abraham was supposed to be a blessing, the Abrahamic covenant blessing to all the world. So he's going to be the king of the Israelites through David and the king of the world through Abraham. So, I mean, long story short, who is the prince? It's it's Jesus, I, I believe. I believe a strong, firm case can be made for it. It's right. Jesus, it's the Messiah. Right. Okay, not someone in the line of David? I don't think so. You think it's just symbolically uh, David? All right. Yeah. That's good. I mean, 
Yeah. Yes. That's why yeah. that's why we can say John was Elijah. Right. Right? John the Baptist was Elijah. Yeah. Not actually, See, but in the role of and and I mean when when God gives the messianic uh, sorry, yes, the messianic covenant. God gives the Davidic covenant to David. He talks about he will build David's house right. forever. I think this what's important about this is who the prince is is going to factor in your interpretation of how you should interpret the temple and everything else. Because if it's figuratively David, right, or mm-hmm. it's right, or it's or it's uh, you know the shoot of David. He doesn't even say the branch shoot. It's just like it's David, Prince is David. It says that I think in um. Uh, 34, chapter 34, chapter 37. Then it's like, okay. right, And that's right before, because chapters 40 to 48 are dealing with the the, the whole things about the temple. Mm-hmm. Um, then that's really going to change your interpretation of how to read it, kind of everything else. Yes. Um, because if it's not literally David, then it's like, okay, then why are these other things literal too? Um, it kind of opens the doorway. So I, I'm, again, reserved because... I'm in. I'm in deep limbo. Like I'm just like wow. Like I'm all over the place right. when it comes it to does, Ezekiel. Your interpretation of this depends on your overall interpretation. Right? Yeah, if uh, this uh, is yes. speaking of a millennial kingdom, or if it's not. If it's speaking of a millennial kingdom, Christ. If it's right. speaking more symbolically, is that is that what we're going? Yes. There? Well, that's exactly it right. Really so, depends on your overall understanding of the last several chapters of Ezekiel. Yeah, and I, I think that. Um, Obviously, I, I don't think we can make a, a full case, I think, that it's Jesus or however sure. it works. Only because the, I need to find that verse. I wish I could find it. I was trying to look for it, read it while you are speaking, where he makes a sin for himself and for the people. It says that he makes, a, uh, he makes atonement for himself and for the people. And I need to find where that is. And it's so unfortunate that I didn't write it down because I read that. And I was like, whoa. And I was like, because that um, would be the case against it being Well, I mean, Christ. verse 44 has the Levites offering burnt offering as a sacrifice for the people like right. in in ezekiel 44 like the, the levitical priests the descendants of the sons of zadok right right they have that okay so the other issue is too is that this this priest who comes in is um what is ezekiel 43 19 let's go to ezekiel 43 sure 19 Yep. Okay. The Levitical priests of the family of Zadok. Okay, this is unrelated to the prince, though. Yep. Um, I know. Okay, I know. So there's priests in the family. Okay. Because the prince is not typically the high priest. That was oh, like, no, definitely not. But there's a whole bunch of things happening here because there's also no holy I know, holies. there's a lot. So, that, so I, I don't want to. So I think we need to keep going and with the questions and then come back to this. Sure. In my mind, because there's a lot happening. Certain things need to be broken down first, because whether or not to identify the prince of who he is and who he's not, I think comes down to a whole bunch of other, uh, it's a dominoes effect. Because once you do that, you make a decision on that, then other things fall into place. But there's so many moving parts in Ezekiel. Okay. So I don't know. That's my answer. <laughs> but here's what I will say. Um, I think that, we're going to hold this in limbo just for a couple minutes until we sure. answer. Okay, let me ask you another question. Yeah, let's Ezekiel do it. Ezekiel 47, verse 12. What is the meaning of Ezekiel 47, verse 12? Uh, their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. That is not enough context. Let me, let me grab <laughs> Please. That is not enough context. Okay. All right. Uh, 
verse, I'm going to start in verse six. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? So this is in the middle of the vision. Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river, very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the Eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish for this water goes there that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to Engalam. It will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds like the fish of the great sea but its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are to be left for salt. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be food and their leaves for healing. All right. Um, I don't know exactly, but here's what I'm going to say. Uh, John uses this as a references this in Revelation 22 verses 1 to 5. So let me read that. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. Now, for context in this, earlier, um, John says that in Revelation 21 that there is no more temple; that God is the temple. So in other words, it's water flowing down from the throne of God is flowing down from the temple because it says earlier that God is the temple and the Lamb of God in the middle of the great street of the city, which is Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. On each city of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will be there, will be, give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Okay. So John sees this in Ezekiel and he references it. Okay. But is it, it's a little bit different because there's no temple here. It's just God and everything's flowing up from the throne of God. Uh, so uh, with that, it says here that on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit. We know 12 is representative of like the apostle, yielding, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. So in other words, you have this thing where it's like... It sounds like the tree of life. It sounds like the tree of life. And it's healing people, restoring them back to God. Mm-hmm. And it's all, it's imagery. But also perhaps restoring their physical bodies. Yes. Yes, because that's that's the whole reason why God had to guard the Garden of Eden in the first place. Yes. It wasn't because Adam and Eve were bad people and they have to stay out of the Garden of Eden. It was to block, like Genesis 3 is very specific, it was to block their way to the tree of life lest they eat and, and yes. live forever. That's right. So here you have a parallel world. This is this is the new heavens and earth. This is Revelation 22. Mm-hmm. Satan's been defeated and cast into the, the hellfire. Um, but it's And it's still a physical world. And it's still a physical world. And so eternal life is available. That's right. So it sounds like these the re- trees of life. That's right. A return to an Edenic, an Edenic world. That's what this sounds like. Uh, and with God officially back, like on the throne, ruling on earth. And um, 
the temple, you know, is God in this case. So long story, yeah, I think- Yeah, just there wasn't a temple in the Garden right. of Eden, so, and, and inherently kind of Eden was the temple. Yes, and the reason why I'm stumbling is because that's what John talks about, and he's using Ezekiel as a reference. Mm-hmm. Is this what Ezekiel is referencing? Is this, is this identical to what Ezekiel is referencing, or is John using this as prophetic imagery? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I think I don't have an answer for. So I will say that the fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Um, it's related to it, mm-hmm. for sure, but is it the exact same thing as what's mentioned in Revelation? I don't know for sure. It seems like it, but again, it depends on your interpretation of is this the millennial reign or is this the new heavens and new or earth? Or is this like an idealized understanding right. of what the new heavens and the new earth will look like from the context of Ezekiel right. living in the Old Testament covenant? That's exactly right. These are the and questions what, that determine how you will understand. Because he's saying we're giving these sacrifices, like grain offering, free will offerings, but are the is it the meaning of those sacrifices that carry over? which could be very well to be the case. Yep. And if it's the meaning of those sacrifices, then the, the actual physical sacrifices don't need to occur. Like death does not need to occur. Right. Anyways. Because they are fulfilled in Christ. That's right. Yeah. So anyways, I think we need to get to, I think that helps. I know it's not the best, but it's all factoring into this big, these the bigger big questions. Question, Matt not quite yet. We're on Ezekiel 40, 48. Is the Ezekiel's temple literal, figurative, or spiritual temple? Oh, we, it's so close to the big question. It's basically the big question. Because <laughs> then it's related to, does the temple need to be rebuilt before Christ can return? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. We have to do the big it's, one. It's all. Right? You have to do that one first, and then we can get to the big question. Sure. But okay. It's connected. Okay. You okay. got to go. Go. Tell me your thoughts. Okay. So, I got too many thoughts. the problem. Okay. Can narrow you, down your thoughts and tell us the most poignant one. I don't know. <laughs> Because is if it literal, because figurative, Ezekiel. or spiritual? A lot of people aim for the spiritual temple. Mm-hmm. The difficulty with this is that the way he describes it, he uses all the the way he uses the dimensions, and he gets into such detail. It doesn't seem like he's just using it figuratively. Yeah. Right. Um, so, man, like he says specifically big. in Ezekiel forty three verse ten to eleven. Israel is supposed to be faithful in its regulation and its design. The difficult, and so when you think about that, it's like the reason why I'm telling you this, Ezekiel, is so that Israel could be faithful to its to its regulation design. Yeah, that's really important because it's like I want you to build this, okay? Um, and then in Ezekiel 43, right, uh, it says also that the, the Levitical priests of the family of Zadok, so Ezra and Joshua, which is possibly Zechariah three, um. A reference. So the Levitical, the Levitical priests have to come from the family of Zadok. The problem is, Christ is not a Levite, nor is he in the line of Aaron or Zadok. He's in the order of Melchizedek. So that's mm-hmm. the other issue with this. Ezekiel 43 also says that I will accept you, declares the Lord. Um, but if not, uh, oh, that is a mistake. And that's a reference point. Anyways, Christ is saying, uh, sorry, God is saying here that I need to accept you if you do all these things. In other words, that should have been with the point above. In other words, if you carry out my instructions, my regulations, and my design, then I will accept you. Um, also here, keep in mind, there uh, in Ezekiel uh, 44, it also says, in verse 23, they had to teach my people the difference between holy and the common and show them how to distinguish between unclean and clean. Okay, this is new heaven, new earth. This need not apply. Paul talks about this. This idea of, like, not, not, I believe that not all things are unclean unto themselves. And so it's like, so I don't know if this, this can't be talking about new heavens, new earth proper. 
has to be talking, like you said, that, that grace period of the 1,000 year reign has to point to that. Also, too, Ezekiel 45, verses 8 to 12, says the princes of Israel must listen and start applying economic justice. And, then the, and so it's like, there's, there's a bunch of things happening here. This is the healing of the nations where it's not just uh, a physical kingdom in and of, a spiritual kingdom in and of itself. There's, there's yeah. a physical world. I, well, I, I think it's pretty clear from just a basic reading of these chapters of Ezekiel. The last part of Ezekiel is that Ezekiel himself seems to be identifying an ideal physical kingdom of Judah in Jerusalem, right? Um, now, whether or not that will see fulfillment is is another story. Okay, right. Okay, so the difference between Ezekiel's temple and the other temples of the past, okay, yeah. is that the veil that separates the holy place from the from uh, from the, the most holy place from the holy place is not present in Ezekiel's temple. Okay, so there's an absence of a veil. Okay, mm-hmm. so the most holy place is for all of us, right? Mm-hmm. And we know in Ezekiel 48, verse 35, the Lord is there, mm-hmm. okay? The Lord is present. Second, the altar of incense is no longer present. Mm-hmm. You know, that incense is like the prayers of the people in Revelation. The bread of the presence is also not present, and the golden lampstand is not present, right? Um, and the Ark of the Covenant is also not present. All these things aren't present mm-hmm. that the original temple had and the original tabernacle had. So it's like, it's a radically different place. Like the Holy of Holies is like, it, there's no veil anymore. The veil has been broken down. So it does point to this millennial world, right? Um, the question is, is this an actual temple? The difficulty is, as I already said, is that God says in Revelation uh, 21, verse 22, and I saw no temple in the city, for the for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So I don't know, as a, if the temple were to be rebuilt, jump into the big question, if the temple were to be rebuilt, it says here in Revelation 21 that there is no more temple. Mm-hmm. Now that could mean that there's no more, that the temple could exist, but as like nominally, like oh, we it still exists as, as a as a as a structure, but there's no need for it anymore because mm-hmm. God's like, that's possible. The temple could be rebuilt. You see what I'm saying here? So mm-hmm. it could be rebuilt. Well, even if it is rebuilt, it doesn't mean that it like it, in physical history it, it's been rebuilt a few times and destroyed. Right. So right, it, it's not to say if it's if it is built that it's not going to be dismantled again. Yes. And so I don't see that as I don't see that as a necessary obstacle, if you know what I'm saying, for it to be the fact that it's not that it's not um described in the new heavens and the earth and new earth of revelation doesn't mean that it wasn't built before yes. that. Yes, right? for sure. Uh, because it can be dismantled. That's for sure. The other thing too is to keep in mind Revelation three, it says for the one who conquers I'll make him a pillar in my temple of God. Yeah. So it's like, once again, there's another thing there. It's okay. So God's saying to them, um, they're like, to the one people, literally like mm-hmm. apostles, saints, whoever, if you conquer, I will make you a pillar in my temple. Mm-hmm. Now, what does that mean? Because we know that we're also the temple. So not only are we the temple of God, individually and collectively the temple as Christians, yeah. God comes to be the final temple, and then we can be a pillar in the temple. So it's all figurative, metaphorical language there, right? I, I think that... Um, but the temple in and of itself is a place of mediation between the presence of God and humanity. Yes. If we, if we pull back, yes. pull back on this, because it can be really easy to get lost in, in, in all the different scriptures that talk about the temple and yes. all of our thoughts on it. But we come back to it. Look, I don't know if the temple is real or figurative in Ezekiel. 
I am not 100% sure if it's going to be rebuilt. I think, I think there's a very good chance that it will be rebuilt. Is it necessary? I don't, I, I don't, it depends on how you interpret the scripture, okay? But we know what it represents. It represents a meeting point between humanity and God that was lost at the Garden of Eden. That's why the temple has imagery from Eden, like cherubim, like fruit, like trees, not only in the design, but also in all of the language that speaks about the right. temple and, and, the, and, and the Psalms and in the surrounding cultures, right? It's this meeting place that was lost and that we long to be replaced. So in the new heavens and the new earth, the fact that a temple doesn't exist makes a lot of sense because we don't need it because right. we can interact with God without a so temple. So the question is, right? does right? So does the temple need to be rebuilt before Christ's return? The answer of need is no. It does not need to be rebuilt. Mm-hmm. Um, having said, what's really interesting about this whole discussion, you know, whether the temple is literal, figurative, or whatever it is, is that Okay, during the Second Temple period, the Essenes, the guys who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, okay, did not believe Herod's temple, the Second Temple that was built, right, by Ezra and Nehemiah, was the actual temple. Mm-hmm. They didn't believe it. And there was for two reasons for that. A, it did not meet Ezekiel's criteria that he mentioned right here in this whole verses 40 to 48, mm-hmm. chapters, chapters 40 to 48. Didn't meet those standards. Number two, the presence of God is never mentioned to come back to the temple after they rebuilt it again. So the Essenes were like, this is not the real temple. They rejected it. Um, and I think that's really interesting. I think that's very interesting because it's kind of like you're reading Ezekiel. It's like, is this the temple that, of what could have been? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where, and that's the reason why I'm struggling with this because it, it really does seem like, like they were supposed to do something like this, you know, and they didn't do it. And it's like they were supposed to listen to the instructions and carry it out, listen to the regulations and its design, and they didn't do it. Right. And, and then so, we see we see in the Gospels, Christ representing the presence of God goes into the temple and he is not accepted right. by the religious authority of the temple and is cast out. Right. And you see right? even in Ezekiel is that the sanctuary has become an idol. Mm-hmm. Right. And then so that I will defile my sanctuary before you. It's like this idea that like the temple itself isn't what makes you holy, right? It's God who makes you holy. But in this, so I think to answer the big question, you don't need the temple to be rebuilt so Christ can return. There's no needing there. Can it be? Sure. Absolutely. Will I, mean, it match, I would not be surprised Will it match Ezekiel's description? That'd be interesting. We'll have to wait and see. But at the same time, I don't think you need it. And do I think Ezekiel's temple is literative, figurative, or spiritual? I know I was kind of ranting today and kind of bumbly. I'm trying to get wrap all this in my head. Um, I, I don't think it's entirely spiritual. I don't mm-hmm. think so. Mm-hmm. Because the, 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 there's a lot of physical descriptions. There's a lot of physical descriptions yeah. and it's too carried out. I also don't think it's figurative. Um, though there is a lot of uh, prophetic language that's used and it is a parallel, a type of what's to come. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, anyways, but yeah. I don't know. Listen, I, I think <laughs> Look, I think it a very I think it's possible that this is the temple that could have been that the Essenes believed that right. never were that was never done. Right. I think it's possible. In the physical sense of it, not the spiritual sense, because the Lord was not there after they rebuilt the temple. Anyways, that's my rant. Look, I was pretty bad. Th- there but, is there's gonna be more to come on this yeah. as we mature in our views and age in our views and 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 absorb it. But I th- I think that's what is be- one of the beautiful things about Bible study is that it it grows right your your understanding of the scripture and and 
God grows it. And so I'm very curious to see where all of you are at with this. I know it's entirely probable that we have differing eschatological views about the end times. And I think that's a good thing because we can sharpen one another and we can help each other understand different scriptures. So please leave your comments and your questions down below. More to be revisited as we continue through the scripture. We're going to be hitting Daniel next, which has its own interesting prophecies about the future. So until next time, happy reading and happy studying. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.